It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. to get involved, doesn't he? I'm telling you, too many coconuts have hit him right on top of the skull. Well, I think uh, Anthony will be a great acquisition. He can do it all. Avery, whose show is this? Welcome everybody here to the Lakers Lounge. I'm Anthony Irwin. Today joined by somebody who I really, really miss working with. Uh, somebody who is, for my money, my favorite draft Nick, draft person in general. Uh, Ricky O'Donnell of SB Nation is here. He already has one mock draft up already. Um, he, can, he watches this stuff over the course of the entire year. Actually, the last time you and I spoke, the last thing you said was uh, on the show was, uh, you know, I this is all just in preparation for Wemby. We're all getting ready for Wemby. And it's like, you know, that's the, that's the guy. And uh, not surprisingly, Wemby sits at the top of your, your mock draft here, which is already up at SBNation.com. Uh, thank you very much for hopping on, man. How are you doing? What's going on, Anthony? I miss working with you every day, too. But thanks for having me on the show. I'm glad to see you're still killing it with the podcast uh man busy time in basketball right now finals i published a list of the best free agents the other day we got the yeah. draft coming up in less than two weeks now so uh season's gonna end new season's gonna start and yeah. it just feels like a rush to the finish line right now it's is there even a finish line i feel like there's not really a finish line i feel like we see it off in the know. distance but every time we run we every time we run a little faster to try to get to it it just like moves further off into the distance uh the the, the finish line but but yeah um i i i kind of wanted to start macro um before we get into like the specifics and and which guys that you kind of like for the lakers here but i was thinking about this last night and i you know we we, we just saw a stretch where Rudy Gobert goes for 17 first rounders and uh, Donovan Mitchell, right. Goes for another collection of first rounders. And, and, you know, for a while there, it was just like, you know, these guys were really moving off of the board for crazy hauls of, of first round draft picks. And then in the deadline, you know, we, we thought going in for sure, Russell Westbrook moving his, his contract and getting anybody who could possibly help the Lakers would cost at least two first round picks. We just saw Oklahoma City this morning send uh, a, a future first for like not much more on, on top of it, right? And I'm kind of wondering if um, if these first round picks with the new CBA, the way that it's kind of constructed, and and how punitive it is if you if you jump above that second apron, uh, if these first round picks are, are are just that much more valuable and if if like th those days of of not sending picks are are mostly behind us as as teams start to realize oh 
cost-controlled talent is actually hugely hugely important for for our planning moving forward. Yeah. So I feel like the ramifications of the new CBA still aren't really known or felt yet, but it sounds scary. It sounds like you can't pay Jalen Brown, even though he's really good. You drafted him, you developed him. But, yeah, uh, you know, it sounds like if you're going to have two guys, two All-NBA guys on max contracts, that you're not going to have a lot of flexibility to fill out the rest of the roster. I think I hate everything I'm hearing about the new CBA. Me too. So far, like it sounds like it's kind of short-sighted garbage, but... Uh, in terms of teams trading a lot of first round picks, it's funny because, you know, when the Bulls traded Jimmy Butler, they didn't get one first round pick. They moved up seven spots in the draft order. That was in 2017, Mm -hmm. uh, trading the 16th pick for the seventh pick in the deal for Butler. Now you feel like if you're trading 27 year old Jimmy Butler, you know, that package is going to be four or five first round picks and two pick swaps and haul, uh, that wasn't. You know, the case really, even a few years ago, you look at the Paul George trade to Oklahoma City. I believe that he was traded for Sabonis and Oladipo in no picks. Yeah. Maybe one pick in there. Like, so yeah, the league, it will, uh, there'll be ebbs and flows, definitely. Yeah. I think, like, from one perspective, sort of the truism in the NBA throughout its history has been that superstars win championships. You need, the most high-level stars possible to win the title. Uh, but these days, it does seem like the team is almost only as good as its weakest link. Like, if mm-hmm. you don't have the right supporting players around your star or stars that, uh, you know, you can lose to anyone. But the league is wide open. I would say, like, there's going to be a lot of teams looking at, you know, these finals, seeing the Heat in the finals as an eight seed, Uh, seeing the way Milwaukee and Boston and Philly came up short and seeing the West being totally wide open with the seven seed Lakers making the conference finals and just think, well, you know what? If we make one bold move, trade a bunch of first round draft picks to try to get another star, maybe we actually can go to the finals. You just wonder how sustainable that is long-term in this new CBA. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting issue. I think like the Nuggets Thunder trade this morning was fascinating because it was basically the Nuggets saying, okay, we're not going to be able to keep paying our role players. Like to me, yeah. that was like, I don't know if we can retain Bruce Brown. Yeah. Probably I'd be surprised if they could. Plays. That would be, that would be a freaking, it would probably be theft if they were able to keep Bruce Brown. He's, he, he's definitely going to get, he, I, he seems like a $10 million player to me, right? 10, maybe 12. Um, I think that's more than they can offer. Uh, that's, that's higher than the, the, the exception that they have. Yeah. Uh, and so they're going to try to replace him with some second round picks who they hope can hit the ground running. And it's, yeah. a, it's a risky gambit, but yeah, this is what Adam Silver wants. He wants parody. He doesn't want super teams, which I think is kind of stupid, but I mean, it is what it is. We'll see how it works out long-term for the league. I do like the parody kind of because mm-hmm. a hardcore fan. I like the idea that the league is seemingly wide open for every yeah. team with like one or two smart moves. So in terms of just like big picture, what is the value of a draft pick? If that's really what you're trying to ask me now, I think yeah. it's, it's fluid because on one hand, the league is wide open. On the other hand, teams are going to be scared of this new CBA and the ramifications that come with huge contracts to guys who are second and third options. So uh, I don't think we really know how it's playing out yet, but it's going to be fascinating to see how these teams approach the off season. Yeah. I, 
every time I feel like I have a grasp for it, I have a theory on where things might be going next. You know, it just, it just, there's some new bit of information that comes out. And I'm like, no, that's that, 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 that doesn't make much sense. Like, um, you know, the, the live golf thing just happened, uh, with the PGA tour. Right. And for the last two episodes, I've, I've spoken to, uh, Miriam Swanson of, of the Southern California news group. And I spoke to Aaron on, on yesterday's show. And in both episodes, I walked away from it saying like, yeah, yeah, eventually there's probably going to be a, a Saudi owner who uh, way overpays for a team. And we get to deal with with those complications that comes from that. And as such, it's made me wonder if this next CBA and actually like it's, it's one thing if they have like super punitive luxury taxes, right? That if you go above the second apron, it just basically means that you're going to be paying that much more, a higher percentage of, of your taxes or whatever. But th for them to actually say, no, you aren't going to be able to, to sign buyout players. You aren't going to be able to trade picks further than seven years down the road. You uh, are capped it for the salaries. I think that's the craziest one. You can't like take two yeah. guys making 10 million and trade them for a guy making 20 million. At least that's my understanding of it. Uh, well, they, you can't take back more in aggregate salary than yeah. uh than you send out which is nuts like that's how these teams keep adding to their payroll right the clippers traded for norm uh powell in, in it last year and and sent out a, a bunch of cheaper expiring deals to get a kind of more expensive player there and and thus increase their salary they aren't going to be able to do that next year um and and that that to me is like uncharted territory right that's where where we are the notion that teams are are going to be you know legislatively handcuffed if they go above that apron signaled to me like the the, the smaller market or, or or not as wealthy uh owners were looking at steve ballmer and like yeah you aren't going to buy a championship the the joe lakeups you aren't going to buy a championship and then off in the distance you have potential future owners who dwarf Steve Ballmer's wealth, right? With with the amount of money that that um, Saudi has, the, the Saudi Arabia has thrown across sports and thrown around across sports, that's that's a whole different ballpark. So it, it this new CBA felt like a preparation for that. And then actually, Kirk um, uh, over at Mavs Moneyball unearthed a a uh, you know a tidbit in the CBA where they're saying, yeah, actually that is a possibility that that when that kind of an ownership group can actually exist here. And, and yeah, it's, I think it's, it, it kind of signals a lot of stuff that might be coming down, down the, the, the pike here. And, and I, yeah, the, I, I really think as a result, these first round picks are going to be that much more important, which kind of brings us back to this conversation here where, you know, the most recent report is that the Lakers are looking to take a player at 17. They aren't going to be, you know, they aren't as interested in combining it with like Malik Beasley's expiring contract or Mo Bamba's expiring contract, um, that they're actually looking to bring in a cost-controlled player who they think can help, even though they were just in the Western Conference Finals. Like that team historically moves their first-round pick the next year. That just that's how that goes, and um, and yet it doesn't seem like the Lakers are, are getting ready to do it. So I was just kind of curious if you thought that uh, with this new CBA, that is going to become more of the norm here that if a first rounder is is sent out it is only going to be under circumstances where you are getting back a bona fide superstar it, yeah that just seems where it's going maybe 
but man, so many first round picks are already out. It feels like, you know, yeah. between the Pelicans, the Thunder, the Spurs have all those picks from the Hawks, the Jazz now have all these picks from the Wolves. There's a re- there's already like not a ton of first round picks that can even be traded throughout the league because of the Stepien rule. Um, so I do think that it's possible the teams will, you know, see the ramifications of this deal and go for it. I also think, you know, it could make the G League way more important because those guys have even smaller salaries than yeah. a first round pick. Uh, and, you know, look at the success that he'd have had with guys who are undrafted. So I think really like using your G league team is a true minor league system, similar to what baseball does, I think could be another ramification of this just because, you know, those two way contracts are super team friendly, especially when teams can, you know, pull a hinky special or something like that to try to lock in a second rounder undrafted free agent uh, buy out a few years of their prime for a, mm-hmm. a really cost controlled number. So I think you're going to be seeing a lot of stuff like that. And yeah, first round picks, I think will always be a good currency to trade, but you know, if you could hit on a first round pick and you could get cost controlled production for three, four years, that is a big, big deal in trying to build yeah. a championship level team. It, it it allows you for those three, four years there to have, two stars and supplemental role players while that player grows into your system too. It's just, it, it just seems like it, normally I'd be like, you know, trade the pick trade 17, go out and get somebody who can, you know, upgrade and have somebody who actually can play for you in ways that Beasley or even Russell couldn't in that Western conference finals. Um, but even still I'm, I'm looking at it and it, and it certainly helps that this, this draft, and we're going to talk about this perfect segue here. Um, this draft seems, really deep with some really intriguing players who could be available uh, there at 17 for the Lakers. Um, So let's go ahead and dive into that. Like what type of, what would you say is like the floor players? Is there a player at 17 that you could see dropping who could step in and, you know, play big minutes in the same way that, uh, you know, we're watching Christian Brown do for, for Denver in, in the finals. That's, that's unheard of a rookie playing like that in the finals just doesn't happen very often. Yeah. And I think Brown's a good example. I think he was picked 21 last year, somewhere around there mm-hmm. off the top of my head. And he has a pretty small role, right? Like there he's the eighth yeah. man in the eight man rotation. They're not really counting on him to do heavy lifting, but he totally changed game three of the NBA finals. Absolutely. His energy is defense is cutting. Uh, just the fact that he was able to slice through that Miami zone physicality, was- like he knocked Jimmy Butler back off of his spot. That sh- right. that I was like, hold on, <laughs> you don't see that happen very often. I think it really kind of like the Heat saw that and were like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. So it's interesting. It's like, I think 17 is a good range for the Lakers because... I would say this draft has a lot of lottery level talents, uh, but I don't really love a lot of like the veterans maybe in this draft. Like I think mm. it's maybe not super strong towards the end of the first round or the second round, 
it's just my take evaluating the class. But I think like there are more lottery level talents than a typical year. And yeah. obviously, usually drafts are uh, sort of diagnosed based on how strong the number one overall player is. And this year has a historically strong number one overall player who will be a huge pain in the Lakers side for many years to come. In Victor yeah. Wembanyama and the San Antonio Spurs. But yeah, I think that the Lakers are going to be in a good range. At 17, there's a lot of guys who I'm not even going to say could fall, but who are just like going to be available at that pick. And yeah, I'll ask you, what is the perfect type of role player for the Lakers to target in this draft? Do you try to find your quote unquote supplemental ball handler for LeBron James, someone to take some heat off him in terms of his Mm -hmm. on-ball creation duties with this pick? Do you just go for a straight up three and D guy? Do you go for someone who can be, you know, a, another rim protector next to Davis. Uh, They have a lot of different avenues they could pick. If you were selecting just an archetype of role player, or do you go star swing, star upside, say, screw it. LeBron's almost 40 years old. We're just going to go for the best long-term talent. And by the time LeBron retires, hopefully this guy will be our next star. What what sort of archetype are you looking for with this pick, Anthony Irwin? I would, if there's anybody in the draft who is anything close to like KCP, like that type of player, that shooting guard, it doesn't necessarily have to be a wing because Rui is probably going to be the starting small forward next year. So if you have like a, if there is a, 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 a shooting guard sized, you know, like a six, five, six, six, fairly athletic player who can, you know, who can move their feet on the perimeter and knock down threes. Um, that to me is the role that I would really like to see filled because that moves Reeves into like the, the 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 LeBron point guard. It's not your typical point guard, right? Like he wouldn't start at point guard for almost any other team and feel very comfortable. But if he's like a LeBron point guard where he and LeBron are like 1A, 1B in terms of creative responsibilities in the offense, that's the ideal makeup, I think, of next year's starting five. So is, is there anybody in who might be available who fits that those parameters? Yeah. So just in terms of that size, the first guy who comes to mind, one of my favorite sort of potentially outside of the lottery talents in this draft, and maybe he will end up getting drafted in lottery, is Kobe Bufkin from Michigan. Sophomore, pretty skinny is the first thing. His name is Kobe? Kobe Bufkin. Kobe spelled the same way as Kobe. It's already done. It's Uh, done. Yeah, we'll see. Rob Rob won't be able to hold off. (laughs) I I can see it already. It's done. Yeah, written in the stars, but yeah, he's a two guard uh, for Michigan, kind of a combo guard, skinny, but he's got good size at six five. Uh, slides his feet really well defensively, has nice length to bother ball handlers defensively, and then offensively is one of these guys you could play both on and off the ball. Uh, he's got some some good burst in terms of his uh, shot creation ability when he does get the ball in his hands. He's able to like turn the corner to string out a trap and then either beat the defense with his own scoring or keep the ball moving to a teammate. And he can also play off the ball and hit threes. He hit 35% of his threes this year, 85% of his free throws. So I'd say he uh, he certainly qualifies as someone who would seemingly you know fit in both roles, on or off the ball, which is what you need next to LeBron, especially at this stage of his career. Uh, so I really like him. I do wonder how he's going to handle the physicality of the league early in his career, because like yeah. I said, thin frame, he was someone who's been a, li- a little bit of a late bloomer at Michigan. He really turned it on strong in the second half, uh, but he opened up a lot of eyes. I think with the way he closed the season, he solidified himself 
as I think a solidly top 20 pick in this draft. And uh, when you look for guys who can defend, who can shoot and who can create a little bit off the dribble, he's someone who checks those boxes. Now, when I say those things, it all sounds great, but big is always better than small. And he's not small. Kobe Bufkin isn't small, but like, you know, he's shooting guard size. He's and he's probably, I don't know his wingspan off the top of my head, but I'm going to guess that he's not quite as big as KCP. I guess six, seven and seven eighths wingspan is what I'm seeing on a quick search. So, you know, good size, not great size at all. You know, will he have a target on his chest defensively? I think he's good enough uh, defensively. He's feisty enough to avoid being, you know, having a target on his chest early in his career. And if he can bulk up, which it does seem like he has the frame to bulk up long-term, could be really good. So that's the mm-hmm. first name I'm going to throw out at you. Kobe Bufkin from Michigan looks like a, a potential Laker at number 17. A name I was told to bring up is Jordan Hawkins. Um as as a as you know if if what the lakers are prioritizing is shooting uh yeah. which i could see them doing you know that they they uh they really their their offense really got stuck on in, in the mud down the stretches of games against denver when like schroeder had to be out there and um if he wasn't on the ball then denver never really cared about him out there and then when he was on the ball that meant that the ball wasn't in lebron or, or austin reeves's hands what the Lakers really kind of needed was for one of D'Angelo Russell or Malik Beasley not to be an absolute tire fire disaster out there. Um, not saying that a rookie would be expected to be able to do that, but what do you think of uh, Jordan Hawkins? Yeah, Hawkins is the best movement shooter in the class. He's able to like sprint around screens and hit shots. His footwork and just like his general technique in terms of squaring himself up for a three after running in a full sprint around a screen is really impressive. He's an awesome shooter. And he was someone who was, you know, being talked about as a first round pick, even before you kind of went on that big run to the national championship this year. I think that only solidified his first round reputation. Uh, Some mock drafts now have him even potentially going towards the top 10. So Hmm. Hawkins, not really my favorite type of player. And obviously like I could be totally wrong on this, but to me, he's a little bit of a one-trick pony. Now, his one okay. trick is awesome. His trick is hitting <laughs> three-point shots yeah. and bending move. defenses, you know, not just stationary. So, uh, yeah, but, like, I do wonder, like, how much secondary creation is he going to give you? And then defensively, like, how stout is he going to be? He kind of reminds me a little bit of, like, Wayne Ellington or, like, someone like mm. that who doesn't have great size, is a great shooter. Um I could be totally wrong and Hawkins might be phenomenal because you watch him rip threes and it's like, wow, every team needs a guy who can shoot threes off movement like this. But I guess I normally tend to favor more complete players. Yeah. Uh, So I think he'd be a good pick. Like for, for anyone who takes him, you can like, he has a definitive role that he can slide into from early in his career. And if you just look at the heats run, like there's so much value just in three point volume, not even like, three-point percentage like you need to get up threes just to give yourself a chance especially if you're not the most talented team and on a team built around the lebron ad pick and roll or the austin reeves ad pick and roll when lebron doesn't want to do i was gonna say you use the wrong name there yeah (laughs) Uh, i think hawkins could be pretty good pick so not my favorite prospect in this draft but uh he's very good at his signature skill is there a top 10 pick you could see, like, you know, shocking everybody and sliding down in a way that pisses people off when that player gets drafted in that, like, 17-ish range? Yeah. Yeah. How about Kaysan Wallace from okay. Kentucky? One of my favorite players in this draft. 
absolute maniac on the defensive end. I'm not going to compare him to Caruso because Caruso set such a high bar, but he's sort of. Oh, in the we're mold. talking about Caruso later in the show. Like that's he's sort happening. Of in the mold of a Caruso where he can defend up, even though he's like a six four guard. He can like handle bigger players. You can go on Twitter, YouTube, I'm sure, and look for his chase down block compilations. The guy never gives up on a play. He's a total maniac in terms of his competitiveness. Uh, and just like such a disruptive defender. Then offensively, he doesn't really have a ton of on-ball juice. I think he's got a little bit, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like he can hit spot-up threes. Probably the best possible version of Kaysen Wallace looks like Drew Holiday. Now, I don't know if he's going to hit that outcome. That's a hell of an outcome, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's sort of the mold of player he's in, where it's like he's going to be really good defensively. I think that even though he's guard sized that he defends bigger than his listed height and weight his long arms that helps super strong chest and he's just a competitive freak so yeah uh, i really like him to me he should be a top 10 pick but this is the type of draft where all right like are you going to draft a defensive first guard Mm -hmm. top 10 i mean maybe not but i really like case on wallace i think if he was there for 17 it's 17 lakers fans should be jacked up Kind of sounds like the Anthony Melton a little bit. That would be a very good comparison for him. Yeah. And Melton would help any team. Uh, yeah. I kind of like that one. Um, how about bigs? Because I've always kind of liked drafting a big. Now, this is usually like early second round is where I like using this kind of a pick. But, you know, this is where the Lakers sit. They usually buy an early second round pick too. Um, but I've I've always liked drafting a big giving them a hyper narrow role like hey just focus on this on this end of the court and this on the other end of the court protect the rim and dunk the ball over there is there any big that that you could see and and by the way I think an underrated aspect of this Lakers offseason is whether the Lakers now I don't think they would use a rookie in the spot but um, whether the Lakers actually start a big next to AD to kind of save him so he doesn't look so exhausted by the end of the playoff run as he did this year. Um, is there a big that you could see kind of, again, either you know either the Lakers reaching for at 17 or, or who makes a bunch of sense there? Yeah, I think Derek Lively from Duke is one potential name to watch. He was someone who at times was ranked number one overall in this incoming freshman class as a high school player. Didn't really live up to the hype at Duke, mm-hmm. but he just got better and better as the season went on. Really long center. People have estimated that his wingspan was He's 7 seven, which people were pushing back against, and then he didn't measure at the combine. So I have not seen a Derek Lively measurement. He's ducking the tape measure. He doesn't want to get his arms measured. <laughs> but I would be really interested in seeing what this guy's wingspan is. Uh, he's someone who, if you watch Duke's NCAA tournament win against Oral Roberts in the first game, he was playing a lot of different type of coverages. He was playing drop. He was at the level of the screen. He moves decently well in space. He's got super long arms, regardless of uh, you know what the tape measure will officially say. And then offensively, he's going to be a guy who dunks a lot of stuff. And at the high school level, he had a reputation as someone who had like jump shot potential. We didn't really see that at Duke. Mm-hmm. It does remind me a little bit of Wiseman, where people would say with Wiseman, uh, like, oh, you know, he's going to be able to shoot. Well, is he? Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, there's a big difference taking a guy 17 versus two and just sort of like the expectations you have on what type of role that guy can play. So I think that if you want like a drop big man, 
who can have a little bit of scheme versatility and who can dunk stuff inside. Lively is a decent bet at 17. I want to see him play with more force. Mm-hmm. Like you, I stood next to him a couple times at the McDonald's game last year at the uh, Jordan Brand Classic. Both of those are in Chicago, so I covered him live. He's very thin. So I think, like, you know, to play with more force, he's probably going to have to beef up a little bit. But you know what? We say this about everyone when they're yeah. 19 years old. We're all thin when we're 19 years old. So I miss it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, Lively could be good. He, he could be a solid pick as, as a center prospect in that range. Um, all right. Last thing uh, before we get you out of here, I mentioned that we were going to come back to Caruso. He goes out and he has an all-defense first team season. Um you know, just so happens that Malik Beasley's no, actually Mo Bamba's contract matches up almost perfectly with Caruso's. Lakers do have that 17 pick, um, and we have seen teams. We saw at the deadline, teams were combining like three, four, five, five second rounders uh, for in, in some certain situations. Um, can can I have can I have my my special boy back? Yeah, you know what? I would probably do that trade for the Bulls. I'm a Bulls fan, if people don't know. And Crusoe's unreal. But the reason I would probably do that trade if I were the Bulls is because they have no picks. They don't have their pick in this draft. It went to the Magic Booch trade. They might not have their pick in 2025, which is top 10 protected for acquiring DeRozan. And they have, like, no second-round picks. So I think the Bulls just need some picks. Caruso's phenomenal. And, like, if the team was closer to competing for the championship, I would say... This is the type of guy you need on the team. I think he's 29 now. He played 67 games last year, which shocked me because it felt like he was in and out of the lineup so often. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does have some durability concerns, I would say, yeah. but I think he's the best defensive player in the NBA. He's the best defensive guard, if nothing else. And yeah. even calling him a guard doesn't really capture his brilliance because he's able to check. Big, he'll guard Julius Randle. He'll guard Zion. He'll you know check yeah. big players in a way that – very few guard-sized defenders are able to. Uh, so if I were the Bulls and they offered me 17 for Caruso, yeah, I would really ask myself, like, what is the path to the Bulls, like being a contender in the Eastern Conference? Is that realistic? Uh, and if not, which it's not, <laughs> I would say, uh, yeah. you probably need to start to sell off some of these guys to – Try to recoup all the value you can. 17th pick for Alex Caruso seems like a pretty good value to me. I think that'd be a real good trade for the Lakers or for any team that would acquire him. You know, I was watching the Kings Warriors series and just kept thinking, what if Caruso was in place of Davion Mitchell? And Davion had a good series. Yeah, series, no doubt. But like Caruso is just a complete game plan record. So, yeah, you know, this might be the time for the Bulls to sell high on him. But when it comes to the Bulls, Inactivity is their number one activity. They will choose to do nothing, which is what they've <laughs> chose to do the last three transaction periods. So yeah. I wouldn't say get your hopes up, man, but you know, that's a good trade offer for sure. The thing that I think helps here is that Reinsdorf could save money, right? Because uh Bomba's contract is completely not guaranteed next year. So you could essentially trade Caruso, take no finances back, and have that 17 pick. Um, I personally would do it. The, the the durability concerns, like I know he missed a bunch of time because Grayson Allen had that cheap shot on him. And like, yeah. usually, usually when Caruso gets hurt, it's because like he's overextending himself defensively. He plays so effing hard. Um, and that, that certainly is, is concerning, but he, he hasn't really had any of those like non-contact, like 
you know, pulled hammy type injuries yet. Most of his stuff, whenever he gets hurt or he misses time, at least from where I'm sitting, it seems like you can identify the play that he got hurt. It always makes me nervous when like you see a player will show up in the, in the, uh, in the uh, medical list in the, in, in, in the next game. And you're like, I didn't see when that even took place. And if that happens often enough, I'm like, okay, this is just the deal with this guy here from now on. Um, Kawhi is, is, I think, the example of that. And it, it doesn't seem like Caruso is quite here. I, I, would, I would do it, but everybody listening to the show knows that I'm probably Caruso's number one fan. <laughs> He's awesome. I mean, there's, yeah. there's no one like the guy, really, like trying to think of other great defensive guards through the years someone like tony allen mm-hmm. obviously was phenomenal and caruso i think is at or surpassing that level yeah uh, but you know he really does push his body to the max and when he was he on the Lakers, so hard the lakers were playing him about 20 minutes a game i'm just gonna skip all that mm-hmm. uh you know he had a, a relatively narrow role in the lakers well the bulls were like all right we need you to play 30 minutes a game and then that's yeah. when his body started breaking down a little bit more uh so if the Lakers do that trade, I think it definitely helps the Lakers next year. I also think Caruso might have shot 40% from three. He was around mm-hmm. that the whole year this past year. Not a high-volume shooter. I also believe he was towards the top of the quote-unquote leaderboard in turnover rate. He turns the ball over quite a bit because he'll try to make some audacious plays as a passer and as a ball handler when instead of just like making the simple play. But, you know, when it works out, he can actually be a pretty brilliant connective passer as well. So yeah. Caruso rocks uh is a bulls fan i'd hate to see him trade him but also like the guy deserves to be playing in high leverage games and the bulls aren't good enough to play in high leverage games so there's a there's a lot going into it and i think we might have we might have a a a deal if they are all right i like it i like it well thank you very much ricky for hopping on i know that this is one of the, the the busier times of the year for you in preparation for this draft and and all of that do you want to take a few minutes and just like give your your crazy Wemby take, like, you know, preview his season. Do you like, well, are we talking all-star as a rookie? Are we talking, is he good enough to get the Spurs into playoff contention? Play in contention, I think seems semi-realistic, right? That's, that's only the 11 seed or the 10 seed or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, what, 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 if, if for somebody who hasn't seen Wembenyama play, where would you, what would you say? Like, this is what you're looking forward to. By the way, I'm here in Austin, and he's probably going to play a couple of games here a year. I, Jen, I'm already telling you, I've bought those tickets already. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I would think that Wimbanyama could perhaps perform at a near all-star level as a rookie this season if the Spurs were really like trying to push him. Now, mm-hmm. I don't think the Spurs are going to take that sort of route with them. I think it's going to be a cautious long-term approach to where this year they're just sort of like feeling out the league, uh, you know, maybe getting another premium draft pick in next year's class. I don't think that they're going to like hold them out a ton, but I do think that like, he's going to get load managed like anyone else. And uh, I think, you know, his schedule in France, they're mostly, I think playing like one game a week. And in the NBA, you're playing like four games a week a lot of times. And just like the wear and tear on your body and the pounding he's going to take as a big man is going to be pretty interesting. I actually expect Wemby to play the four in the NBA and probably Mm. close at the five, Uh, especially early in his career. I think the Spurs have Zach Collins lined up, I think. Uh, And they'll probably add another big man perhaps. But uh, I think they're going to want to like keep him away from the physicality of the NBA because 
to be a center in the league, and you know this, watching Anthony Davis, like it's almost like you're an offensive lineman in the yeah. NFL. Like you, it's just you're getting hit every single play, every single possession. Yep. And I think they're going to try to limit that from him. But Wemby's awesome. I mean, he should be an all-time great play finisher because he's literally seven five and he has an eight-foot wingspan. <laughs> and when the ball is near the rim on either ends of the floor. Wemby either stuffs it or, you know, stuffs it one way or another, right? Either blocks the shot or dunks it. And he has really quick reaction time and he hustles. That's another thing. High motor player, able to diagnose plays pretty quickly. Uh, I think he's going to be in a great player, an all-time great player, as long as he stays healthy. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to be Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in terms of like, okay, this guy's going to be the second or third best player in NBA history. You got to say he's got that type of potential, though, just given – yeah. Uh, given his physical tools i'm really interested to see what his shot diet looks like yeah. i think he likes to take a lot of mid-range shots he likes to take like some weird runners from three he likes to try to do crossovers 30 feet from the basket when you know if you were really optimizing him i would say like okay just like stand near the rim and let's just really make you the greatest rim runner rim protector in the league um but like for his long-term development you probably do want him to flesh out those creation abilities and see what he can do with the ball in his hands and see, yep. you know, Kevin Durant takes a lot of mid-range shots too. No one's going to be able to contest a Wemby mid-range shot. His release point is going to be at the rim or above the rim. So uh, there are just so many different outcomes for his game and for his usage, but he's the best prospect I've ever evaluated. There's no one even close. And the fact that he's backed up the tools with the play this year, yeah. he's going to be the MVP of the best pro league in France. He's leading his team to wins in the championship. And that team is basically built around developing him. Like he changed teams so that he could get more on ball reps so that he could get more room to breathe offensively to continue to mm -hmm. grow his game. Like it's not like the team is going all out for wins, but they're still winning because Wembenyama is so dominant on both ends of the floor. So I think he's awesome. The Spurs are a perfect landing spot for him. I also can't wait to go see him when he comes to Chicago. Bold prediction: he comes into a he becomes a huge sports villain down the line. I think like he's going to beat the U.S. for a gold medal in the Olympics, and people are going to look at him and just not like him. Uh, <laughs> but right now, it sure is fun to see a guy who should be the next big thing in the league, and I think he lives up to the hype. That's just my two cents. Yeah, I'm. I I think. I could definitely see like Kendrick Perkins saying that this guy's overrated. Like I, I just, I could just see that, that first take uh, segment already in the back of my head. It's have it's happening. Um, Ricky, thank you very much for hopping on, man. Always a pleasure talking to you. Miss talking to you as often as we used to. Um, but again, if you guys want some of the best draft coverage out there, you're going to want to find it at SB nation when Ricky writes it. Thanks bud. Thanks, man.